Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we continue our series on obedience. Join Pastor Greg in the book of Acts. This morning, I want to continue the topic of obedience. And uh, like I said last week, it's everybody's second favorite topic. You know, when you go into a church and the pastor stands up to preach, everybody's favorite topic is tithing, right? When the pastor stands up and he starts talking about giving, everybody shuts the pastor off. They turn, tune him out. They don't want to listen. And obedience is a lot like that. And last week we talked about obedience, but I was thinking about uh, the continuation of this theme, and um, I have entitled my message, Obedience, No Matter What. No matter what, obedience. And I'm reminded uh, of the fact that I've never met a parent. I have never met a parent who has not wanted their child or their children to learn, and not only to learn it, but to exercise some good old-fashioned obedience. I'm reminded that my father, he uh, expected obedience when I was a child. Uh, And in fact, he had ways of uh, getting our attention when we didn't obey. Or if we misbehaved in some way, my dad had a way of getting our attention. Uh, I can tell you, uh, it was strapped around his waistline. You can figure it out for yourselves what my dad's methods were. But I can tell you, he got our attention. I also remember when I went to Paris Island, South Carolina. I landed on the shores of Paris Island, old Marine Corps Recruit Depot, or Depot. And I stood on that line, that invisible line. I got off the bus. The Greyhound bus had taken us to the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the edge of where you would leave the mainland and go out to Paris Island. And we were standing out in the middle of this street in the middle of the night, and this guy started hollering at us, Get on line! Get on line! And I thought, Where's the line? Show me the line and I'll get on the line. I thought this guy, I said, he's not very smart. There's no line on the pavement. I quickly learned that they were going to teach me a lot about discipline and a lot about obedience. You know, both of those things, even when later on after I left the Marine Corps and served in the Army, both of those lessons were key to my survival. But they were also key to my safety. You see, I don't think any parent sets out. Now, there are parents who like to act as if they are dictators. I would encourage you to act biblical, not like a dictator. But I don't think any parent ever sets out to discipline a child or to ask a child to be obedient so that they can be a ruler over the child. I think many times we do that so that we're trying to protect our child. We're trying to uh, preserve them or show forth some way that is going to keep them safe and secure. Do you know, God wants to do the same thing with each and every one of us who are called believers. Each and every one of us who have called out upon the name of the Lord. The Lord wants us to be obedient. Not just because He is the Lord, but because He, not just because he commands him, but because we are in love with this one who loved us so much that he willingly gave his son for us. Last week we were talking about obedience and we were asking, why is obedience so important? And we talked about the biblical mandate for obedience and we talked about how that God's word must be not only implanted in our lives, but we must learn to cherish it so much so that we actually apply it into our lives. 
we not only learned about that, but we noted about how that walking in obedience was profitable for our, for our health. Remember? We talked about how it was profitable for our holiness and our happiness. And then we concluded last week, we talked about one of the greatest, and I'm not saying it's the greatest because we have to exercise faith, because the Bible says, for without faith it's impossible to please Him. Okay, But one of the greatest uh, motivating factors for walking in obedience should and has always been the four-letter word, love. And so we talked about that last week. And here's some things that I've learned in my lifetime. Being obedient is definitely the right thing to do. However, sometimes obedience is hard. Would you agree? Anybody ever have somebody tell them to do something and you thought, I can't do that? Obedience sometimes is hard. I also have learned in life that sometimes obedience will cause you and I to wonder, what in the heck are you up to, God? Anybody ever wondered? Like, Lord, what are you doing? You're asking me to do this. I don't understand this. Can I tell you, I shared a little bit of our testimony in Bible study hour. My wife and I don't understand why God said, hey, go out to Bible college, sell the house that you just bought, sell the house that you just spent two years fixing up, the house that you thought you were going to retire in. We don't understand why he said, guess what? I'm going to take you from that house. You sell it, get out, and go to Bible college. We didn't understand that. But I had to be obedient to what God was calling me and telling me to do. And so sometimes we'll ask God, what are you up to? And then I've also learned this. Sometimes obedience will bring us face-to-face with danger. Anybody ever been faced with danger while walking in obedience? I remember years ago when I was here uh, just as a layperson, and Brother Brian Wise and I, we would go out literally all the time. If you know Brian and uh, you knew he and I's relationship over the years, he and I would go out soul winning and making visits every week, many times, multiple times a week. And I remember uh, one time he and I were up in the Centerville area, and we were in a, in a, in a townhouse uh, community, and I had gone in and asked the, the office if we could go and just put out flyers for the choir musical in the area. And, and the people, they said, oh, sure, absolutely, have fun, go do it. Now today they tell you don't even think about it. And uh, so we were going around, and I was knocking doors, and one gentleman opened up the door, and I offered a flyer to him, and, and he very roughly and abruptly and quickly said, and, and I'll leave all my imitations out of it, uh, he said, I don't want your flyer. Get your flyer, get yourself off of my front porch. Now, you got to understand, these townhouses were those that you had to walk up about 20 steps to get to the platform to the front door because the front door was on the second level or sometimes third level of the home. And so I was up there, and, uh, and he said some other things to me that I'll leave out of the discussion this morning. Uh, and uh, at that moment, I said, man, I said, that's so, you know, so sad. I, I'm you know, trying to empathize with him and sympathize with him. And I said these words as we were parting ways. I said, well, brother, I'll, just, I'll keep you in prayer. Now, he didn't not only want my choir flyer, he didn't want my prayers either. That guy came out of that door kicking and stomping. You know, sometimes walking in obedience brings us face to face with danger. Now, I'll let you know that I informed that gentleman that if he kicked me, we were going to have a different problem. 
I said, if you don't want my prayers, that's fine. But I said, if you touch me with your foot, we're going to have a different problem. And it's not going to be the choir musical at Battlefield Baptist Church. (laughs) Guys, sometimes walking in obedience may bring us face to face with danger. And and that's exactly what we're going to see this morning in our story. It's like I heard, though, a long time ago in the military. As good soldiers, and in this case as soldiers of the cross, as good soldiers, we must be ready to obey our commander-in-chief, as pastor and teacher Stephen J. Cole once said, without question and without complaint. How many of us, when walking in what we would say obedience, even though it might be a little bit of disobedience, how many of us would question God? I think we've all been there. I think we've all been there. But I want to take you to a passage this morning in Acts chapter 5 where we'll see the culmination of the story. But I want you to turn back with me as we ramp up because I think it's important. See, I could read this passage in Acts chapter 5 and literally the other night I was reading with Travis. And as I read the story, I started to weep. I started to weep because I saw the testimony of the apostles. But I want you to understand leading up to this point in the story why it's so powerful. Because these guys were walking in obedience, and they were walking in obedience no matter what they faced. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, flip over a couple of pages. In Acts chapter 1, you think about Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven, and I'm going to read, I know that I gave the guys upstairs verse number 8, but I want to read verse number 6 and following. In Acts chapter 1, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again thy kingdom to Israel? And notice what the Lord says. And I think many times he says this to you and I. He says, uh, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. You know, there's some things that you and I just are not going to know. See, a lot of people want to be know-it-alls, but the Lord says there's some things that you're just not going to know. You've got to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that. And that's all part of what we call faith. That's all part of our obedience, too. We don't have to always know it. But notice what he says in verse number 8. He says, you don't have to know these which the Father hath put into his own power. He says in verse number 7, but verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. What I want you to notice is that verse 8, he says that after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, If you've never thought about it before, you need to understand the word after. See, a lot of people start trying to do things for God. You'll you'll do nothing significant for the Lord until after the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. See, a lot of people come to church, and can we turn me down? I feel like I'm really loud. Am I really loud? I feel like I'm really loud. A lot of people come to church... And they start wanting to do, 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 do. I got news for you. It's finished. My obedience does not save me. My obedience does not maintain my salvation. Yes, faith without works is dead. But that's not the same thing, guys. As a lot of people start saying, well, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, listen. What we need to do is we need to walk in faith and be his witnesses after. But it's only going to take place after the Holy Spirit has come upon come upon us. Look at uh, chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we move. In verse number 2, the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. 
And verse 4 says they were all filled with the Spirit. Folks, the story is getting good. What did Jesus say? He said, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. So here we got Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so guess what? It's time to do what Jesus said. Listen, he had already shared the Great Commission with his disciples, hadn't he? In the upper room, he had already shared that. He had already said, you shall go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He had shared that. He had, he had shared that with his disciples. Here he says, guess what? Now it's time to put it into action. He says, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you're going to be witnesses. In chapter 2 of Acts, the Holy Ghost comes upon them. So we see the day of Pentecost. And what's pretty cool here is immediately Peter starts walking in obedience. If you know Acts chapter 2... You know that Peter stands up and begins to witness about Jesus. He stands up and he starts to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And drop down and look at verse number 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That phrase, pricked in their heart, means that they were convicted. They realized that they needed the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And they said, what do we do? And in verse 38, Peter says, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sinfulness. You need to turn this way and go this way. And then after you do that, you need to be baptized. And we see the rest of the story The Lord starts adding to the church. People are saved and added to the church left and right. And it Excuse me, if you read a little bit about the early church, this early church is unified. They have a unity of purpose. And the Lord is using this church to be a witness to all those that are around. And people are being saved and added. If you go down to Acts chapter 3, and Gordon preached on this a, a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, in obedience to the Lord's command. Here we see Peter. He's continuing to walk in obedience. Peter and John, they go to the temple. If you look in your Bible, it's not up on the screen, but if you look in your Bible, you see that they go to the temple at the appointed time of prayer. In other words, they show up for church. They go to worship. And Peter and John go, and as they go, there's this lame man. He's being brought daily there. This guy was born. He's lame. He hasn't walked in over 40 years, and he's there. And every day that people go into the temple, he's asking for something. He's saying, hey, would you give to my benevolence fund? Would you give to my relief fund? This is what he's desiring. He's just sitting there. And if you look at verse number 6 of Acts chapter 3, Peter says this to him. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee I. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, rise up and walk. But then in verse number seven, not only does Peter tell him to do something, Peter reaches out his hand. He reaches out his hand and lifts him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. Listen, Peter says, he says, I know what you're asking for. He says, take a look at me. He says, fix yourself on me right now. He says, I don't have any of that stuff. He says, you need to get your focus off of that, and you need to get your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? The Lord blessed. Peter's walking in obedience. John's walking in obedience. The apostles are walking in obedience. It is laced through Scripture. And we can get sleepy, and we can get tired of hearing the word obedience, but it doesn't change it one fact. It doesn't change it one iota. They're walking in obedience. Listen, this man, here's, here's a point. Think about this. This man, when Peter says, look on us, and then Peter says, I don't have this, 
But what I do have, I'm going to give you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It took, first of all, obedience for that man to look at Peter. Now, as was talked about a few Wednesdays ago, the guy's probably thinking, hey, cool, they're going to give me something. They're going to give me something, so I'll pay attention to them. Uh, I was thinking about that story, the fishies and the bread. You talked about a couple weeks ago and how the people wanted to make Jesus the master, and he said, no, you just want to make me the master because I'm giving you something. Has anybody here ever felt like that? I felt like that before. I felt like that when I've asked somebody to do something, not necessarily in the church, when I've asked family to do something, and they do it, and then they come back to me, and it's almost as if, where's my pay? What are you going to give me for it? What are you going to give me for it? Folks, our obedience to the Lord should not be based on a what are you going to give me for it attitude. Think about this lame man. He has a little bit of obedience and faith in him. He obediently looks at Peter, but then Peter says, I don't have those things, but what I do have, I'm going to give you right now. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now the man has a choice, right? He can either obey and actually try and get up, or he can disobey and stay seated right where he is and keep on asking people for benevolence gifts. He gets up. And he exercises not only obedience, but he exercises faith in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to walk. And you know the rest of the story in Acts chapter 3, the people are so amazed they come running to Peter John as if they have done something great. But notice, drop down in chapter 3 to verse number 13. And what we see is Peter says, he says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And then he tells them, this, this actually is not in that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not in that book. But here's what he says. He says, and you killed the prince of life. You guys are coming to me. You think I did something? No. No, it wasn't me. It was Jesus, the same one that you killed, the prince of life that you put to death, the one that you denied and asked to have a murderer in his place. This is who you've done this to. This is the one who's providing the healing. And he says, whom God hath raised from the dead. And notice what Peter says. What did Jesus say for them to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? It's on our walls. Look at the left. He says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice what he says in verse number 15. He says, and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are what? Witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. And Peter goes on, and he's admonishing these people. And in verse 19, if you read the rest of the story, I encourage you to get in the Bible and start reading these stories. And you go to verse number 19 in the story. Peter says in verse number 19 that they need to repent and be converted so that their sins may be blotted out. 
Oh, they're walking in obedience. Acts chapter 1, you're going to be witnesses. Acts chapter 2, he takes that initial step of obedience and God starts to bless. Acts chapter 3, he's at the temple. They heal this man. And then he's continuing to walk in obedience. He tells people, you got to repent. You got to repent. In Acts chapter 4, what's pretty cool, as Peter and the apostles are talking, notice what takes place. Look at verse number 1. As they're still speaking, they're still talking to the people. Verse number 1 says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And I'm going to continue reading. Verse number 2, Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through, uh, through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. So in verse number 3, what you see is these guys, they come out. The priests the chief of the temple, the Sadducees, the religious people, so to speak, they come out and they're so mad that they take them by force and they put them in the jail for the night. You got to see what's happening, folks. You see their obedience is met with danger. They're now put into the stocks for the night. And then the next day, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the relatives of the high priest, they bring them out and they question them. They question as to where the power to do such thing is coming from. Oh, folks, Peter's not denying Christ anymore. Oh, yeah, he denied Christ a few times. He's not denying him anymore. He's talking about the Lord and sharing the Lord with everybody that he meets. Look at what he says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 9. He says, if we this day, they're asking, where did the power come from? And he says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent or lame man, by what means he is made whole, here's what he says. Notice what he says. He says, be it known unto you and all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye, there he goes again, he's winning friends and influencing people. He says, whom ye crucified. Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Listen, he says, this is what we're doing. He says, we're his witnesses. The same one that you put to death, he's the one by whom we are doing all these miracles through. It's Jesus' power that's allowing these things to take place. Drop down to verse number 13 of chapter 4. In verse number 13, notice what the Bible says. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. <laughs> and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I put a footnote out here to the side that people are always going to be able to tell whether or not you and I have walked with Jesus. Do you know that? There's a lot of people who talk a lot about the Lord, and there's a lot of people who actually walk with the Lord. People can tell the difference. They really can. I've been around people who know an awful lot about the Lord and were no more in walking with the Lord than a man on the moon. Oh, they knew the scripture. Oh, they could pray so eloquently. Isn't that how the Pharisees prayed? Oh, they could do all the doing with the best of them. But when you stood back and you take an examination of the life when you stood back and you took a look at what was really going on in that person's life, man, they were so far from Christ, it wasn't even funny. Listen, when people see that we are walking with Christ, it's going to be evident. You're not going to have to tell somebody that you're walking with Christ. They're going to actually recognize that. I don't have to go out and tell people that I am a saved, blood-bought child of the king. They're going to be able to see that in my life. 
It's kind of quiet in here. Verse 14 of chapter 4. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could not say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside of the council, they conferred among themselves. They said, hey, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. In fact, what they're saying is everybody knows. Everybody knows what's taking place now. This guy, he sat here for year after year after year. And every time people go in the temple, here's this guy. He's like, hey, do you have something you can give me? Will you give to me? Will you give to me? Look, I'm, I, I have nothing. Would you give to me? Give to my benevolence fund. Guess what? He's no longer sitting there. Everybody knows what's taking place. What are we going to do? Notice what they say. They say, we can't even deny it at the end of verse number 16. We can't deny that something miraculous has happened. But notice what they say in verse number 17. But that it spread no further. We're putting a stop to this. This Jesus thing, we're done with it. We're going to nip it in the bud right now. Notice what it says. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightway threaten them that they speak henceforth. From this point on is what they're saying. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And notice what they do in verse number 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Listen, Jesus had given them their marching orders and they had obeyed. But now they're faced with danger. They've been locked up. And now these guys... They're saying, don't do it anymore. So they have a choice. They can either obey or they can disobey. But notice what they say in verse number 18 and following, in 19 and following rather. Peter and John say, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In other words, what they're saying is, Hey, whether it's right for us to actually obey God or you, you guys be the judge. You guys be the judge of that thing. But notice what he says in verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. At that moment, what they were saying is, it's morally impossible. It's morally impossible for us not to share the truth of Jesus Christ with others. We have a moral obligation. You don't understand. You're telling us not to do it. But we have an obligation to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hello. The same's true today. The same is true today. And it broke my heart the other night as I was reading this story and getting into chapter 5. When we get to the beginning of chapter 5, the Bible gives us the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And these two, I'll be honest with you, they have a sin problem ruling in their hearts. And, and God, by the way, when there's a sin problem ruling in the hearts of men and women, God has a way of nipping that in the bud too. He really does. You say, well, I know people who have lived in sin for 40 years. Oh, a day is, you know, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. Don't be, don't be deceived. Don't be worrying Because my Bible says, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There's coming a a judgment day. There's coming a reaping time, a harvest time, when people will reap what they have sown. Listen, I'm not God and neither are you. We need to let God be God. We need to take care of ourselves. We want to encourage others to walk in obedience, but not get caught up when they're walking in sin. 
Ananias and Sapphira, they have a sin problem. And suffice it to say, God deals with it, and that's a different story for a different time. But what I do see is, even if you read beyond their story, the initial portion of chapter 5, what I see is that God, because Peter and John and the other apostles are continuing to walk in obedience, no matter what they face, God continues to bless them. The church, again, in chapter 4 is in one accord. People are selling their possessions and giving them to the apostles for the work of the ministry. People are being saved. People are being healed. They're being cleansed in chapter 5. I mean, God is blessing. But all the while that God is blessing, the high priest and the Sadducees are not pleased. And so I want you to look at verse number 17. I want you to see this passage, and we're going to work right down through it and close In verse number 17, the Bible says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They're angry. That word indignation in the Greek means that they were boiling over with anger and envy. And notice what they do in verse number 18. Because they're doing this again, notice what they do and laid their hands on the apostles and put them into common prison. Again, for the second time, the first time over in Acts chapter 4, verse 3, now in Acts chapter 5, verse number 18, they take the apostles by force, they throw them into prison, they lock them into prison, they're arrested for what they're doing. You know, many times people say, well, why would they do that? Many times, taking somebody by force like that and putting them into prison, many times that was enough to, um, to discourage them or to stop them or to refrain, keep them restrained from witnessing. And so this was a tactic that they used in that time. And so they lock them away. But notice what uh, the Bible continues to say in verse number 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. I want you to notice two things. Verse number 20, notice the, the word go. The angel of the Lord says go. Keep on walking in obedience. But also in verse number 19, the angel of the Lord did something for them. The angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. It's the Lord who makes the way for you and I. Just as the angel of the Lord opened up the prison doors and made a way for them to walk out unscathed, unaffected by the whole brutality, unaffected by their, their uh, short lockup in prison, and gave them a command to continue walking in obedience. And notice what verse number 21 says the apostles did. It says, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. They immediately obey. Hold on a second. You've already been arrested now three times. First time they brought you over and questioned you. The second time they laid hands on you and threw you into jail. Now they've gotten forceful with you, thrown you into jail again. You're still doing it? Yeah, they were still doing it. Because they said we have no choice. We have a moral obligation to do this. And so notice, it says immediately they obey. But the high priest came. And they that were with him and called to the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Surprise, surprise. Getting ready to see a surprise. But when the officers came and found them not in prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. 
Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. In other words, these guys, they're like, what's happening? They're perplexed. They're confused. They're baffled. They're at a loss concerning the sudden disappearance of these guys who they just locked up. And then notice what verse 25 says. I love it. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. (laughs) Okay, guys. Do you have a sense of humor? Are you actually awake this morning? Do you see what's going on? Can you imagine? What? They're in the temple again? Are they idiots? You mean they didn't leave town? They didn't go into a cave and hide? They, they're not on the lamb? They're not running away? Nope. They're right over there doing what they were doing when you arrested them last night. Now, you remember... <laughs> In chapter 3, they marveled because they considered them ignorant men. I can imagine the chief priests, they're like, man, these guys are really ignorant. We told them not to do it, and look at them, they're doing it again. They're back at it. Verse number 26, here we go. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them, but I want you to notice the phrase there. What does it say? They brought them this time what? Without violence. Oh, they changed their tactics. Oh, let's just bring them over here. Let's talk to them. So they bring them without violence in verse number 26. For they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. So these guys are rearrested again. This time without violence. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold... What have you done? Notice what it says. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Praise the Lord. They were having an impact. He says, you filled the whole city with your words. We told you not to do this. But notice, here's the key verse in all of things today. Peter and the other apostles answered in verse number 29. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The apostle says, again, we have no option but to obey God. In fact, the word ought. Look at the word ought in verse 29. Because the word ought symbolizes our duty and our obligation and actually is derived from a word that means to owe. That's what Peter and the apostles were saying. They say, we owe. We owe the Lord this. We owe the Lord our obedience. He has bought us with a price. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 talks about. We are bought with a price, therefore we're to glorify God in our body and our spirits, which are the Lord's. He says he's bought us with a price. We owe it to him to be obedient. So in other words, I put down here their obedience was not a matter of choice because they had no choice. I have no choice. And to be quite frank and quite honest... Neither do you. If you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, remember? If he is your Lord, you have no choice. See, the reason where choice comes in is because we have minimized the Lord Jesus Christ. He has become less than Lord in our life. 
We have determined that he is only the convenient Lord of our life. He is that, that convenient Christianity. He is Lord when I need him to be Lord, and he's not Lord when I don't want him to be Lord. When I want to do things according to my ways and my thoughts, then guess what, Lord? You just sit over there, and, and I'll put my Bible over here on the shelf. The only time that many Christians use him as Lord is when they're in the valley. I think we ought to be uh, looking to him and celebrating him when we're on the mountaintops and giving him the praise that he rightly deserves. These guys says, hey, we don't have a choice. You don't understand. You can threaten us. You can beat us. You can throw us into jail. No matter what, we don't have a choice. We must obey God rather than man. So notice what takes place in verse number 30 and following as we close the passage. In verse number 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Notice what they say. Here they go. They're at it again. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye or you slew. You're the ones that hung him. You're the ones that put him to death. Verse number 31, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and to be a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. And took counsel to slay them. You remember back in Acts chapter chapter 2. Excuse me when Peter was preaching, and then in verse 37, we read that the people were pricked in their heart. This is different. You see, to be pricked in your heart, that, that, that was a reference to being convicted. This idea of these, these, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, and all the religious leaders, the idea of them being cut to the heart, this is a reference to them being angered. This is a reference to the fact that now they have... It's beyond the boiling point. Have you ever had a parent, or maybe you've become that parent where you say to your child, I'm up to here with you right now, mister. Go to your room. I've had it with you. I'm up to here. That's where they're at right now. They look at these guys. They say, we are so angry. We're so filled with rage. We are going to kill you. They decided enough is enough. It was time to put an end to these guys. But God always has a way even when we're in the wilderness. Notice what verse 34 says. Then, I love that word then. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Anybody know who Gamaliel is? Anybody remember? Notice it says, Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. Gamaliel is the one that Saul of Tarshish studied under. His little prized pupil, Saul of Tarshish. Gamaliel was respected. He was honored. He was, he was somebody who had a lot of stature at this time. And so Gamaliel stands up and he says, hold on, hold on, let's take a breather here for a second. Notice what he says. He says unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. In verse 35, what ye intend to do is touching these men. He says, don't, basically what he's saying, he says, don't be so quick to act upon your anger. By the way, that's biblical. By the way, that's biblical. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Gamaliel says, hey, don't be so quick to act upon your anger and your outrage. 
take time to deliberate the situation. And then he gives them some examples. Verse number 36, for before these days rose up this guy, his name was Theodos, 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 boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught or nothing. Then he says, after this man rose up a guy by the name of Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing. And he drew away much people after him. He perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. He said, there's this Theudas, there's this Judas God. This has happened before. They're pretenders. And so what he's telling these guys, he says, if these guys are pretenders, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Just like these other pretenders were killed, just like these other pretenders, the men who followed them, they're all dispersed now. It came to nothing. He said, if, this is, if they're pretending, don't worry about it. Even though everyone in Jerusalem knows what took place, if this is just come some kind of a side freak show, the freak show will be over soon enough. But notice what he says. He says in verse 38, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men. And let them alone. I want you to remember that phrase. He says, let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught or nothing. But verse 39, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. Notice that phrase. They agree with him, but notice what they do. And when they had called the apostles, and what? Didn't he just say, let them alone? And didn't the Bible just say they agreed? But you know, because of their anger. Because of their spite. Because of their wrath. Because of their anger. They said, you know what? We're going to get one more in. We're going to take it to them one more time. That this never spread again. Notice what they do. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now here's the really cool end of the story. Notice what verse 41 says. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? They're faced with danger once again. Not only are they thrown in a prison like uh, time and time and time again, not only are they threatened, but they finally receive a good old-fashioned whooping. And what do the disciples do? They get happy. They rejoice. Guys, catch it, please, please. They rejoice that God counted them worthy enough to suffer shame. They said, God's pleased. God's pleased because he allowed us to get beaten for his honor and for his glory. I don't know about you, that does something to me. That humbles me. That embarrasses me. That shames me. When I think about what the disciples, these apostles of old, were willing to give for the Lord Jesus Christ because He was their Lord, it embarrasses me today to think, would I do that? 
Would I get right out of prison and go right back to the temple and do exactly what they told me not to do after I had been whooped a few times, after I'd been imprisoned a few times? By the way, folks, that's what's happening in our world. It's coming. It's coming. The attack is on. It's been on for many years. It's coming faster and more furious than ever before. And I may be faced with that. You may be faced with that. The question is, will you stand up? Will we be obedient in that day? Will we stand up because of the love of Christ and obey? The disciples faced this persecution again and again. And as Christ followers, they were obedient no matter what. Some of you remember that quote that I shared from Elmer Towns. You cannot say no if Jesus is truly your Lord. The world may try to silence us. But Acts 1.8 says that you and I need to be as witnesses. Not only in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, but to the uttermost part of the world. No matter what we face in this life, we ought to obey God rather than men. I think about John chapter 14, in verse number 23, our Lord and Savior, He said these words, He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Will you keep His word? Yes, God demands obedience, but He also deserves it. I think about the fact he's our creator, he's our sustainer, he's our redeemer, he's our provider, if you please. Dr. J.R. Miller points out this, and as I close, he points out, it is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibility of not doing it. That's good if you think about it. He says, it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibility of not doing it. You and I have been saved. You and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residency in our lives. And certainly there's a command to be filled with the Spirit. But He's taken up residence in our lives as a comforter, as a guide, as a protector in our lives. We've been called as believers to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And I just put down here, the true expression of our love is not just the sacrifice of the fat of lambs, but to walk in obedience, no matter what. There have been times that I've walked in obedience and it was hard. There have been times that I've walked in obedience and I've questioned God. I'm like, God, do you really know what you're doing? I'm sure Becca's there right now as she is traveling this country feverishly trying to raise support to go to Thailand to tell people about Jesus. And when churches constantly, continually say no, I'm quite sure as a missionary on deputation, there have been times all alone, by the way, ladies, on the road by herself. I'm sure there have been times where she has questions and said, God, are you really sure? I'm coming through this land and I'm trying to raise this port. I want to get over there and I want to tell, but are you really sure this is what you want me to do? And I'm sure there have been times just like me where maybe you have had to stand and you have faced danger for your faith. The reality is it may become more dangerous in the days ahead. But that should not stop us. We should be willing. We should be ready to walk in obedience no matter what. Would you pray with me?
Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.